Hey, this is John Orberg, and today is just personal. I want you to know how grateful I am. Uh, a lot of you know our family has been walking through a difficult season, and uh, it comes sometimes with different milestones. Um, I don't talk about those much directly, both just to honor privacy and honor my family, and because really this is about how do we all learn to walk together towards God as a community of the withered hand, fellowship of the withered hand. But at the same time, I don't want it to be like an elephant in the room and there will be uh, tender moments, sensitive times, and so many of you have let us know that you are praying for us and praying for God to be at work. And, and uh, I think because we meet in that fellowship of the withered hand where we can't but God can, uh, I also will often get to share with you valleys and seasons of pain and that's very meaningful to me. So I thought on this particular day I would walk through this Psalm 121 that I have mentioned. Uh, I pray every morning when I'm asking God for help with my prayers and uh, uh, parse it a little bit and then we can pray that together just as a way of marking this particular moment in my life and our family's life and our life together as a community. I've loved this psalm for a long time. When I was in high school, I sang in a cappella choir and there was a kid named Tim. He was breezy, hilarious, unbelievably gifted, larger than life. A uh, group of us who were good friends, Chuck, you're out there watching right now, would be involved in uh, choral stuff and musical stuff. And when Tim was on the stage, you couldn't watch anybody but him. And uh, he also suffered in deep ways and died way, way too young, almost 30 years ago. Uh, his journey to faith in God was remarkable and complex. And when we were in high school, he uh, wrote a choral piece of music for this psalm, Psalm 121, and we sang it together, and it was uh, uh, exquisitely beautiful. And I always think of Tim when I think of this psalm. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And because hills can be such beautiful things, you might think that our help comes from the hills, that they inspire us, but that's not where our help comes from. Hills actually in the ancient world were a bit of a problem. When you wanted to travel, when you wanted to move from one part of the world to another, they got in the way. That's why sometimes when there's a prophetic vision of shalom, part of what the prophets will say is, every valley will be raised up and every mountain made low. And the idea is not that flat is perfect and Chicago is the best place in the world because of that. It's that those barriers and difficulties that get in our way that we have to trudge up one day, God will take care of one day, but not yet. It also most likely refers to the fact that in the hills in the ancient world, because they were places of great beauty and vision, they were also often places where altars to idols would be placed. And if you're a Bible person, you might know the prophets would talk about Asherah poles being put in high places, sometimes in Israel. Asherah was a goddess, a consort of the god El in Canaanite religions, and they were trying to help Israelites to think about God in a new way, in a way that people in the ancient world had to be led into a step at a time, that there is one great unlimited God. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. Now that's a very important line and really good one for me to think about today and maybe for you too. 
There is someone who made all this. We are not here by accident. And what an immensely big God he must be. What remarkable wisdom and power. What a flair for design and artistry and engineer. The one who created science and who created time and who created life is. That's, that's my helper, the maker of heaven and earth. He can surely help me. He does not have too much to do today. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The one who watches over you. That's a main theme of this psalm. He is watching over you and me. Will not slumber. The one who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And my friend Doug Penny, uh, who I went to college with, one of the most brilliant guys I have ever known, learned Greek and Hebrew and a bunch of other languages with unbelievable skill, says that that line sounds kind of strange to us. Of course God doesn't sleep. But we've learned to think about God in new ways because God revealed himself to humanity over time, supremely through his people Israel and especially in Jesus. And in the ancient world, they thought of God's kind of like people, only with extraordinary powers. So that, Doug says, in Homer, for example, sometimes when bad things happened, it would be because the gods that you were relying on were sleeping. Uh, uh, speaking of Homer, the ancient gods in his world looked kind of like Homer Simpson, but with superpowers. They loved donuts. They were easily distracted, lustful, angry, petulant, but could do extraordinary things. And it took a while for the human race to come to grips with the notion that there was one great God who did not know human limitations. Nothing was too big, too difficult, too hard for him. And so one of the ways of expressing that is that he does not slumber. Now, right before that, in this stanza, the psalmist says, he will not let your foot slip. He will not let your foot slip. And I think when I read that line of a book by Nicholas Wolterstorff, who's a brilliant philosopher, whose son Eric died when he was in his early 20s mountain climbing. And he wrote a remarkable book that I often turn to in this season, Lament for a Son, where he protests and writes the anguish of a human heart in a fallen, painful world in the mystery of suffering. Because his son's foot did slip. God did let his foot slip. And it reminds me not to be glib, not to be trite, not to be triumphalistic when I think about this psalm, that there's a mystery to it and that there's a problem of suffering that yet remains even while there's hope. And then the psalmist goes on. The Lord watches over your life. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. Now, a lot of images for God are military, my rock, my fortress. He's a warrior. I kind of love this one. He's my shade. He offers me um, comfort. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. In the ancient world, Israel, of course, was a desert place. And if you were stuck in the desert, in the blazing heat, the sun could kill you. 
and God gives protection when you get weary, when life could just wear you down. The moon in the ancient world, as sometimes even in our day, will be associated with madness, maybe because there's darkness and fear and imagination run wild. Lunar and lunacy are closely associated. And this last year, there have been times when that thought, just the language around the sun will not smite you and the moon lunacy, that will not be able to take you down either, has been very meaningful to me. The Lord will keep you from all harm. No, he won't. Yes, he will. Maybe it's that he doesn't keep us from hurt. We can know lots of hurt here, but there's some level of destruction of soul that God protects us from. Maybe it depends on if I'm looking at my relationship with God and his protection of me in the framework of this world, of this earthly life, or in that larger framework in which we are told that if we trust in him, we will not taste death. The Lord will keep you from all harm. The Lord will watch over your life. I am not, you are not, even right now in this moment, unseen, unobserved, unloved, unprotected. The Lord will watch over your coming and going. And I've told you with my dad about the special meaning of those words. In uh, Hebrew expression, that was a way of talking about the totality of your life. You're either coming or going all the time. Uh, we might say 24-7, 365 days a year. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. That's a real long time. So today, lift up your eyes. What does it mean to lift up my eyes? Well, uh, I look honestly, without denial, without evasion, at the hills, at my problems, at reality. I look at reality, and then I look beyond reality. I look up. I lift my eyes. There is one who is watching over me and you. So today, lift up your eyes when there's a problem, when you suffer, when you fear, when you want to weep, when you want to dance, when you want to laugh. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. He is watching. He is watching. He is watching. I'll see you next time.